Hey everyone, this is Tony. Before we get into tonight's show, I want to remind you to go to iTunes and leave a review after you hit subscribe. You can also find us on Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Blog Talk Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at TConfessionals. And you can also find us on Facebook. And when you do, make sure you give us a like. And I just want to give you a quick heads up to make sure that you stay through the entire episode. At the end of the show, I put on a musical montage for you that I'm sure you're going to like. Enjoy the show, everyone. Are you willing to sacrifice your life? They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of the night. You guys hear that? Hey everyone, welcome to tonight's show. I got a great interview lined up tonight, but before I get to that, I actually want to play you a clip of audio that was on a video that I posted on Facebook earlier this week. The video is a guy's genuine reaction to when he sees UFOs in the sky. That is, those are aliens coming down here, y'all. Look at, it's coming down the same direction. Oh, it's breaking up! Oh, it's six, it's eight, it's nine! Oh, look at that! Oh, look, look at that! They stop! They stop! Look at that! Those are aliens! Sorry, I'm trying to record it. Aliens! Aliens! Oh, they cut the lights off. Aliens! Oh, they cut the lights off. Y'all need to be shooting that! Y'all need to be shooting right here! And they just cruel. They looking at us! They divide! They dividing up. We getting invaded. Those are not. Look at that. They are sitting. Y'all need to be calling damn news. They come down to the. Oh, they come to Earth. They're coming to Earth. Oh, they coming faster. Oh. Look, they fly towards each other. They fly. Oh my God. Look, they moving in for formation. They just standing there. Officers, do something about that. Y'all not gonna do nothing. You know, I'm really glad I extracted that audio so you guys could hear it. It's not even that his reaction was wrong. His reaction was actually so right. I mean, imagine this image here. There's one light flying down out of the sky, and then that one light actually splits into eight or nine different lights but they don't continue to fall. They eventually just hover there above a tree line, move around a little bit, then they start to come back together. I mean, really, how would you react? I've never seen a UFO like that, but if I did, I might react a very similar way. You know, I would love to talk to this guy in an interview one day, so if anybody actually knows who he is, please get a hold of me. My email is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Shoot me an email if you know who this guy is, because I would love to talk to him. Now, tonight's interview, we bring on Roger. Roger has actually seen a UFO up close in person. It started out in the distance and then actually came closer towards him. He got a great look at it, and some of the details he's going to describe tonight are absolutely eye-opening. I really hope you guys enjoy this interview. Let's bring on Roger. Hey, Roger. How are you doing? Hey, Tony, man. Uh, doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. Uh, I hear that you have some pretty incredible stories to share here about UFO activity. Uh, instead of just talking about it with you, I want you to just kind of get into the show a little bit here and describe to the audience what you experienced and how it all went down. Yeah, no problem. Um, so this happened back in February of 93. 
Uh, I live in Washington State, and this uh, location was about 40 minutes east of Seattle. Uh, if you go on Google Earth, you can actually find the exact location. It's where I-90 and Highway 18 meet. And what had happened is that at the time, my friend Rick and I, we were doing lots of camping, going out to the woods, and my parents had bought into this resort thing. And it wasn't really our scene, but you know, they said, oh, we've got this pad, these passes, and you can, you can go and check it out. And they had swimming pools and basketball courts and clubhouse and stuff. So I told Rick, I said, hey, man, let's, let's go check it out and, and, you know, just have a good time. So we went out there and, uh, you know, the day went by just kind of doing our own thing. And we were staying up really late and it was about two o'clock in the morning and we were sitting on the edge of the basketball court and, uh, and we were facing south. It was a really cold night. There's lots of stars out. Um, but there was also a very low sort of fog or cloud cover just above the top of the trees. And uh, we were just sitting there talking. And I looked over to my left, which would be the east, where there's a ridge line that runs north and south. And uh, I see these, I see the, this light. I'm like, oh, man, look, it's a helicopter. And the only reason I pointed it out is because we hadn't seen any air traffic. And so it caught my eye. It was, you know, it was unusual for, for, uh, for what we hadn't seen. And he goes, oh, I, I think that's an airplane. I'm like, eh, okay, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. And uh, so we talked for a few more minutes. And I glanced back over. And it looked like it was coming our way. So I told him, I said, hey, look, it looks like it's coming this way. And so we watched it for just a couple, two, three minutes. It was getting closer and getting closer. And there was something odd about the lights. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And it, it, it captured our attention. And as it got closer, my heart started beating, beating really fast because I could tell this was, this was something odd. This is strange because it was actually decreasing in altitude and coming right, right for us. And when it got about 150, 150, 200 yards away, it, it started low, it started decreasing in altitude and it was passing through this, this cloud cover or fog that was just above the trees. And as it passed down through this fog, you could see it had mass because it was churning, churning up the, the fog or the clouds with it. And not like there was prop wash from a helicopter or propellers or anything like that. Um, but this thing had lights all over it. There was red, green, blue, amber, white, and they're all just flashing in these very intense, very rapid flashes. And they were just out of sync with each other. And as it came closer, we saw that it was, it was disc shaped, but it was, it was, it wasn't a slim disc shape. It was kind of a fat disc shape. And, and it came down, it was pulling the clouds with it and it was perfectly silent. Now, this thing was not a couple lights in the sky. It wasn't a black triangle blocking out the stars. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Travis Walton's story um, that was popularized in the movie Fire in the Sky, but this was that dramatic. It was about 50 yards away and about 100 feet up. It was just over the top of the trees. And it came down almost to a stop. It came down, it slowed down right in front of us. It didn't make a sound. It was deathly quiet. And our jaws are hitting the ground and my adrenaline is just pumping because I had been studying the topic of UFOs my whole life. And here I was seeing proof of everything that I had read about and everything that I had heard. And as it came directly in front of us, there are these two lights on the bottom and they rotated up to the back of this craft. And then it started to turn counterclockwise 90 degrees. And it stopped just for a second. And it moved south away from us over the top of the trees towards the direction of uh, Highway 90. And I could see the lights from this craft bouncing off of this cloud cover. And it was being diffused. And it was creating this, this sort of... Uh, light show on these clouds and i just i ran towards it i i i was i was like i'm not gonna i'm i don't care what it is i'm i need to know more i need to see this i need to see as much as i can get as much detail as i can and remember as much as i can so i so i ran and i i basically ran perpendicular to it because it was the only way i could run along the basketball court to try and get a vantage point just to see it for a couple more seconds and then it slowly moved away and the lights, they just, they were just eventually gone. 
And I looked over at my friend Rick. I'm like, you saw that, right? You saw that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. I'm like, what was that? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. And we spent the next two and a half, three hours saying, okay, it wasn't a plane. Okay. Cause it didn't make any sound. It wasn't a helicopter because there was no sound. And it wasn't a secret military project because to the best of my knowledge, the military does not plaster their secret military projects with multicolored lights flashing. And, and, and we, this is the conversation we had over and over and over again for hours. It wasn't a plane. It wasn't a helicopter. And, and that, that was such a transformative experience that it, it changed my life. I had already been deeply interested in the subject, but from then on, I, I can't go outside at night without looking up when I go camping, I'm constantly looking up and, um, never seen anything quite like that before. But I tell you, out of all of the UFO sightings and reports that I've read and heard about, uh, besides Travis Walton's experience, um, there are very few that were as dramatic as this. Wow. When you were out there and you, you first started seeing the actual shape of it, and you said it, it was more like a thicker disc. Uh, would you describe it maybe as like a, a cigar shape? Because I've heard that they've been described as cigar shape. Is that what you mean or not at all? No, 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 not, not at all cigar, cigar shaped. Uh, it was almost like a football shape that was squished down. Um, I mean, it was definitely disc shaped, but it was, it was bulging up a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, like a thin, like a thin disc. And, uh, there was just lights all over it. So it, it, it definitely was not um, a cigar shape. Okay. And how big do you think it might have been, roughly? Roughly, it was, it was probably the length of a school bus. So it was, it was quite large. This, you know, once again, this is not, you know, an orb or, you know, a, it's anything else that might have been explainable. This was, it was, it was huge. You know, obviously not as massive as some of the other ones we've heard about, like uh, um, down in Arizona, where they had had the light sightings where they were just massive the size of the football field. But uh, it was also not small by any stretch. Now, could you describe the lights a little bit more? I mean, were they more like lights as in lights that we plug into our house or did they have any kind of different qualities? Uh, it's interesting that you asked that because just about three months ago, I was sitting on the couch with my wife and we were watching a YouTube video. You know, some guy was putting some tin foil in a microwave just to see what would happen. And we were watching it and I got the, the hairs on my arm struck because I said, that's it. That is what the lights look like. And I realized that when you put metal in a microwave and you fire it up, it creates plasma. And that's why I knew that this was this was different. And as I, that's exactly what the lights were like, that vibrancy and that flashing and the intensity of it, except it was, it was multicolored. It wasn't, um, it wasn't just like a white or a blue, which is kind of what you get if you put these things in the microwave. But um, uh, no, it was, it, it was brilliant. And it was, uh, it was all of the lights were, were very intense. With the lights, you said that they moved. Was it like, um, one light moving on the craft or was it like lights that were lighting up in succession? Does that make sense? There were, yeah, yeah, no, there was, uh, the, the lights were all over it, but on the backside, which I assume is the backside because it's the opposite side that was moving towards us. And, um, uh, there were two, uh, two brighter light. I, I didn't really notice these two lights until they started to move. And when they did, it's like they were directly under the craft and then they slowly rotated up to the very back of the craft. And, um, and then that's, and then it moved, it would move a little bit more and then it's, that's when it started to rotate and, and move away. But it, they didn't move as if they were mechanical. They moved almost as if the light was part of the craft and it just sort of transferred up to the back. It wasn't like, I say rotate because that's kind of the best way that I can describe the way the movement looked was a, was a rotating up to the back, but it wasn't, it didn't rotate in a, in a mechanical type fashion. It's almost like the lights were part of the craft. And that was the other thing is that these lights were, were pulses from the craft. It wasn't like light bulbs or, uh, you know, fluorescence or anything. It was, 
uh, it's like it was part of the craft, but it was so bright. It was really hard to pinpoint, pinpoint on it where they were coming from. It was just all over the place. When you saw the craft coming towards you and also leaving, was it moving at a really rapid pace or was it kind of like almost hovering slowly towards you and away from you? It was hovering slowly. I mean, it was at one point it was barely moving and, uh, it almost came to a stop and a hover directly in front of us. Now, one thing that we had talked about was, um, it seemed that it turned our direction once we acknowledged it because the path that it took to us coincided with, uh, where we had seen it when we first noticed it. It's not like it traveled, you know, another, you know, another thousand feet or something. And then, and then came towards us. It's almost as if, as soon as we said, Hey, look, it's an airplane, it's a helicopter. That's when it turned and came our direction. Now, I'm not real big on uh, alien telepathy and communication and that sort of thing. I know Dr. Stephen Greer is is big on that with the Disclosure Project. As a matter of fact, he's even created a new close encounter. There's there's four classifications of close encounters, one through four. He created a fifth one, which is establishing contact, like like you calling them. I don't really buy into that, but I do have to admit that it sure was odd that it seemed to head our direction once we acknowledged it. And I, it certainly seemed like it wanted to be seen with all of those lights over it, the way it slowed down almost to a hover right in front of us. And then once we got a good eye full of it, that's when it seemed to slowly move away. Did you hear anything? Quiet as a grave, not a sound. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were very close to Highway 90. And while it was two o'clock in the morning and there wasn't a whole lot of traffic, we had periodically heard traffic and Obviously, I have no proof of this, but it it appeared almost as if there was a sound dampening that was coming from this. Not only did it not emit sound, but it seemed to cancel out sound because it was so quiet. We could not hear anything. Um, there was almost a feeling, um, not like a thrumming or a buzzing or a humming almost like a sensation of a sound, but not so much. You're like, well, do you feel that? Or do you hear that? It wasn't, it wasn't as strong as that. Um, for all I know it very well, maybe because we were so, um, awestruck at what we were seeing that our bodies were just reacting to the intensity of it. And maybe it wasn't putting off any sound at all, um, or, or feeling at all. So when you say it had sound dampening properties, is that sound dampening properties, from the craft or is it actually like almost dampening the sound around you outside the craft? I wish I could answer that. You know, I have to be honest and say that I, that I, I don't know. I really don't know. It, all I knew is that it was deathly quiet. I mean, there, there was nothing, there was, there was no sound at all. So whether it was just around us, whether it was emitting it, whether it was a function of the craft, I, I can't say. And did you happen to smell anything, like any kind of fuel or any kind of different smell once it got, kind of got into the area at all? Didn't smell anything, didn't hear anything. Uh, there, there was nothing. Now, I was familiar, I'm very familiar with the UFO topic, and so as soon as the craft was gone, I immediately looked down at my watch to see what time it was. Did I have missing time? Was there anything strange that happened? And there wasn't. Um, so I knew that this was an event from beginning to end without any high strangeness on the back end of it. Um, but no, as far as senses are concerned, it was, it was a completely 100% visual encounter at extremely close range. Okay. So it, it didn't like affect you physically at all in any way? No, other than being so amped up on adrenaline, I couldn't stop shaking. And, uh, and I, and I, I couldn't, uh, I mean, even when we were trying to talk, uh, it was, it was, it was hard to talk. It took, well, <laughs> it took hours before we could finally calm down. I think we got maybe 30 minutes of sleep that night. And then, uh, and then we got up the next morning and just left. And as soon as I got into the house, I ran in and I told my wife at the time, I said, you won't believe what we saw. This happened and this happened. 
And she didn't believe me. She thought I was just, you know, maybe I was on, she thought I was on drugs or something. I'm like, no, no, I'm telling you, nothing. There was nothing. It was just, this happened. And while my friend, he, he passively backed me up, you know, I think his worldview was rocked at that point because he had never put much stock into it. He didn't dismiss it outright, but he didn't put the time, energy or effort and effort into it that I had. And so when I was trying to talk to it, he's like, eh, yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, and for years I, I would bring it up and say, man, let's talk about this. Let's make sure that we saw the same thing. What did you see? What happened? And he would, he'd talk about it a little bit, but I could tell he was, um, he was not really interested in pursuing this. He didn't have any answers and I didn't have any answers, but I wanted to speculate because I wanted to connect dots. I feel like if you have enough data points from people that are reporting these things, you can connect dots and draw some general conclusions about what these things are, where they come from, what they're capable of, what they want. But he, he just, he, he just kind of wanted to forget it. As a matter of fact, later on, years later, I asked him, so you ever told anybody about this? You talk about it. He's like, well, I've talked to a couple people, but um, yeah, he just, uh, he just didn't really want to have a whole lot to do with it. It's funny how people react like that. I mean, you had a total different different reaction than your friend, and you both were there. You both saw the same thing, but one doesn't want to say anything about it at all to anybody. And like yourself, it kind of just made you jump deeper into the topic. It really did. And I had thought at the time that I was already fairly deep. Now, back in '93, the, the internet is not what it is today, so studying and researching and discovering the topic was a lot more difficult. You're talking libraries and everything else, and very minimal internet access where at the time people would post things on forum forums and you'd get some information from there. Um, and I think that something that helped me um, embrace it as much as I did is because I had been involved in this stuff since I was in second grade. My grandma used to give me books on UFOs and ghosts and werewolves and paranormal and supernatural. And so at a very young age, I had already accepted that the world was much stranger than we give it credit for. You know, I was the kid that when it was time to go out and play dodgeball or kickball or baseball or something, you know, like, no, that's okay. I just got this great new book on Atlantis. I'm going to, I'm going to go and, and read this. And, uh, and then, and that's how I spent, I spent a lot of time. And so I delved in into everything, everything from Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, Ghost, Edgar, Edgar Casey, uh, spiritualism, I mean, you name it. And I was into it and I was trying to find out as much as I could. So when this event happened, um, not only was it a confirmation of everything I had read, but uh, um, I knew I had to tell people. And I, you know, I had already had years and years and years of people saying, that's not real. You're making it up. You know, that doesn't exist. And so I had grown a really thick skin at that point. No, I, I don't care what you think. Okay. There's only, there's only two options here. Either I'm lying. I'm well, three options. I'm lying. I misidentified it or it's real. So in this instance, misidentification is not an option. I either lied about it or it really happened. And I can tell you that I am not lying about it. I've told this story to everybody that I can, that I can tell. And part of it is because I'm always hoping that someone else will say, oh, really, I had an experience too. Let me tell you about my experience. Or I had a friend or my grandma had an experience or something. And maybe from their story, I can add a little bit to my own. I can understand a little bit. You know, there's... Uh, uh, for example, two things that I've found from stories that seem to have a thread that run through them are very cold nights and fog or cloud cover of some sort. And those two things usually happen when people have a relatively close encounter, or close sighting. I don't want to say close encounter because there's so many classifications, but um, a very close sighting. And uh, and I'm, I'm still, to, for the rest of my days, I will continue to um, research and study and try and figure out what this is and does any of it correlate with what I saw. I'm sure. I mean, when you talked about the fog earlier and you just kind of brought it up a little bit again about how it being a common thing in these, uh, these sightings, was the fog in the area before you saw the light? And did the fog kind of react at all or get more dense when this craft came into the area or maybe thinner? I got to be honest and say, I don't really remember the fog or the clouds or whatever it was. I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to that. But what I can tell you is that it was a very cold night and there was a lot of stars out. And 
normally when you have a sky that's so clear like that, you don't have fog too much, you know? So, um, I, I want to say that if the fog was there before it intensified as this thing got closer, um, because the swirling motion of this object passing through it was very dramatic. It wasn't just like a couple of, couple of wisps. It was, it was, uh, churning up behind it. Once again, not as if it's being sucked in and blown out or just being blown by some sort of mechanical function. Just a, it was as if the object and its mass as it passed through, it was just pulling, pulling it down. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, I believe that it, it grew in intensity. The, the fog did as it got closer. Okay. Uh, and when the craft was moving anywhere, whether it's closer to you or further away, the movement of the craft, was it, was it like a mechanical movement at all? Could you tell? Was it more organic, uh, fluent? It was, it was as smooth as you can imagine. It was just, it was, it was just very, very smooth. It, it gliding. There you go. Gliding is the best way. Um, a controlled glide because it, it didn't uh, increase in speed. And the only time it decreased in speed seemed to be when it got in front of us. And e- even that decrease was very minor. It was already going very slow. It's almost like it, uh, it needed to slow down almost to a stop uh, to allow these lights to rotate up to the back because that's, that's when it almost stopped is right when these lights started to come up. And then, um, and then after the lights came up and it rotated, you know, counterclockwise and it started to move away, it, it was all a relatively consistent speed. It was only that one time when it was right in front of us that it seemed to uh, decrease at all. And so that's, that's why I believe that whatever this was, it, it wanted us to see it. You might have said it earlier. I can't remember uh, how long did this whole time frame last roughly do you know i would say from the time that we first noticed um from about uh you know it was about 215 uh i would say maybe maybe 10 minutes six minutes 10 minutes before it got close enough that we realized that that something odd was happening and then probably uh and then just maybe another minute and a half for it to uh, come down in front of us, the lights to rotate up, for the craft to rotate away from us, and then to move away. So it was just just a couple minutes, maybe you know, in that extreme close range. So maybe a grand total of you know twelve to thirteen minutes. So I mean, that's plenty long enough, though. I mean, there there <laughs> there's no chance of misidentification there. Then no, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. The entire notion of this being misidentification is ludicrous. There's, it's, it's impossible. I won't even give it a 1% chance that I misidentified it as something else. This was, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously a life-changing moment for you. Uh, you kind of expressed how you were interested in these topics beforehand. Uh, but since then, it's really strengthened your pursuit of these uh, these interests that you've had before the encounter. It, it really did. And while I'm still interested in all these other things, um, the UFOs or actually as Hillary Clinton just happened to call them recently on the Jimmy Kimmel shows, AEPs unidentified aerial phenomena, which I found interesting because that's an official term that she happened to mention on the show when he asked her about it, like he's asked other people about it. Um, uh, so now, so now my, my, my focus is, is on that. Okay. When you were growing up, you've had interests in other things and you did mention like things like the Loch Ness monster and things like that. Do you have any thoughts on, let's just say the, the Loch Ness monster. Cause I actually, when I was a kid growing up, that was something that I naturally gravitated towards. And me and my friends would talk about going out when we were adults and, and hunting it down and we were going to prove to the world it existed. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that as an adult? Like, do you think that a Loch Ness monster could be some kind of creature swimming around out there? I think at one time, yes. Um, my my feeling is that if it was ever there, it's probably not there anymore. Um, uh, so I, out of all the things that 
that I've studied that fall into these various types of categories. That's probably the one thing that my, uh, my belief level in has kind of gone down a little bit. I don't discount it. I think that we have, I, I think that the things that are in the deepest parts of the ocean are, are still unknown. I mean, we're still finding things, you know, we all know that we know less about our oceans than we do about the moon. So I'm absolutely open to there being uh, prehistoric sea monsters. I mean, there's as crazy as that might sound, you know, the deeper you go, the larger these things get. And, uh, and occasionally a fisherman will pull up something, uh, or something will wash up on the shore and people don't know what it is, or it's a huge, massive, long squid, you know, 20, 30, 40 feet long. So, but as far as specifically the Loch Ness monster, um, I have my doubts about that now, but I'm certainly open to the possibility. Sure. I mean, the way I look at it, and I, I, I tend to agree with you. For me, I think I still would love to kind of go out there and just visit the location because it would be a monumental thing for me to actually stand on the, the banks of Loch Ness and just kind of admire how huge it is and the legend that surrounds it. Uh, you know, as an adult, I, you know, looked into that topic a little bit to give it some time. And the only thing, because I, I agree that I really can't fathom something still being in there if there ever was. The only thing I can say is I do remember reading that on the side of the lock, there's actual, possibly, I guess, caves down deep in the side of the, the hill there that they suggest maybe it could actually go in and live in there and only make appearances on the surface sometimes. Have you ever heard that mm-hmm. before? I have heard that. As a matter of fact, scientists have just recently found that there's three times the volume of all of Earth's oceans locked deep underground. That's three times the amount of water in the oceans deep underground. And I, I absolutely believe that there are deep underwater caverns, uh, maybe passageways, maybe cha- channels that allow passage in between the ocean. Um, so yeah, as a matter of fact, that's probably the one thing that keeps hope alive that that's, that that sort of creature, you know, what be it a a Pileosaurus or, you know, whatever it might be, um, could gain access to, even if it's not there, it could, that's how it could have gotten access at one time. And, um, if you've, if you've researched the subject, which I'm sure you have, maybe you've heard the story about there were, uh, there's a castle there on the side of, of the lock and there used to be prisoners that were that would be put down in the dungeons, and they would report hearing strange sounds coming from the other side of the wall. Okay, completely anecdotal, but uh, it's just one more thing that adds to the mystery. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like with these things, it seems that whenever one thing is disproven, there's two more things that pop up that make you say, hmm, you know? Uh, it, there's, yeah. there's always yeah. a mystery around it. Yeah, there's always just one more little breadcrumb that lead, that keeps you going. Absolutely, absolutely. If that's what makes life fun, man. I mean, you dig and you just see what you can find. Kind of backtracking here a little bit. When it comes to you know your UFO experience, we've talked about that. Uh, we haven't talked about what your thoughts are as far as extraterrestrial life. Uh, you've hinted in the interview here that you don't think that it was. Uh, a man inside the craft maneuvering it. Am I recalling correctly? Well, I think that not all UFOs are the same thing. I think people see things in the sky and it gets covered with this blanket term of unidentified flying object, which is fair because that's what they are. They're unidentified flying objects. But I don't believe that they're all the same thing. Uh, Some of them appear to be probe-like. They're too small to put someone inside unless you're willing to accept that there's a a two-foot, three-foot creature, alien entity inside flying it. Uh, some of them seem to have biological properties. For example, down in Mexico and South America, uh, there seems to be a lot more sightings and videos that come from down there that show um, objects in the sky with, at, what, at least what appears to me, clearly biological properties. They, they look alive, even though they have lights on them or they're iridescent or they're, they're behaving in strange manners. It, they seem to be biological. And then there are other crafts which could be piloted, you know, by whom, by what, I don't know. Uh, but my belief is, is that if there is a pilot, that who or whatever they are 
I do not believe they're from Zeta Reticuli, another galaxy, another star system, you know, thousand light years away. I believe that whatever they are, they're from much closer. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. Are they interdimensional? Uh, I've noticed that fairly recently there's a term that's been coming up to describe these called ultra-terrestrials. And the term is meant to describe uh, beings that come through interdimensionally in some way. And that's sort of where I, I kind of land on that a little bit. I don't land on it too hard because I don't know. And I want to be fair about that. I don't want to say, this is what I, I think it's this. You know, I try to keep an open mind and say, I don't know, but, you know, from what I've read and what I've heard, you know, this is kind of, I'm going to step on this side. So, um, now where do they come from? I mean, like I said, it could be interdimensional, but I happen to believe that some of these are um, holdovers from ancient civilizations lost to history. Now, virtually every culture on the planet has some version of a worldwide flood or global cataclysm. And uh, it seems like some of these are just maybe probes left over doing their own thing. I happen to believe that uh, previous uh, people who were here before this cataclysm, they had technology, but I don't believe it's the same technology we have. They didn't have uh, liquid propellant or microprocessors or silicon chips. I think that uh, in some way, they were able to harness the magnetic field of the earth or uh, do something do something that i don 't know I wish I knew I really do but uh, that's that 's what i that 's where I land i don 't think they 're from another star system I think they 're from much much closer okay now, following up on that thought process, how deep does the knowledge go? with our government knowing about these things. What do you think about that? The whole idea of the government knowing about these things, what have you heard? What have you read about that? I absolutely believe that they know a hell of a lot more than what they are, uh, what they're letting on. Uh, do they know everything? I don't think so. I think that in some cases they're, they're just as in the dark as, as everyone else. Um, I believe they have recovered crashed craft, um, I believe that they have tried to reverse engineer it. I believe it's, it's entirely possible that some of the technology that we have nowadays is derived from that. There's a great book called The Day After Roswell. It was written by uh, General Corso, and he outlines in his book um, through his career and the access that, he's, that he has had that things like night vision and fiber optics were all things that we um, reverse engineered and we're able to, to figure out how to use. With all this information that you're throwing out there uh, and sharing with us, uh, what are your plans from here? I mean, you've had that experience in 93. Uh, clearly, you've continued your education uh, on the topic since then. Do you have any plans to uh, pursue this on a deeper level in particular directions? Or are you just kind of like hanging back and doing your own personal research on the side and, you know, sharing your thoughts when asked? You know, I would love to do more. Uh, but honestly, I'm not sure how much more I could do. You know, if, if this was a, Hey, I'm, I, I'm going to go out and look for Bigfoot. You know, I can go out to the woods and I can look for Bigfoot. But when it comes to this topic, there's not much I can do except keep looking up and keep talking to people and keep sharing my story and keep listening and watching and reading and trying to connect as many dots as I can. Um, unfortunately, even if I end up with an aha moment, I, I can't prove it. It's still, uh, it's still speculation, and, uh, and, there, and there's not much that, that I can do with that. Um, I guess my hope is that one day we will have an answer, whether the government comes out and says, hey, we have something to tell you, or whether something lands on the White House lawn, uh, I don't know. And frankly, even if one landed on the White House lawn, I think the vast majority of people would just say, it's a hoax. It's something that we made. It's not real. Uh, they could walk up and touch it themselves. And they'd say, this is not from another planet. This is just made by, you know, there's just, it goes back to that old saying that for a true believer, no evidence is necessary. And for a true skeptic, no evidence will do. So I plan on uh, researching as deep as I can with what time I have and, uh, 
I hope to see one again someday. Um, it's not the first one I've seen, but it is absolutely the most dramatic by leagues. Absolutely. I really enjoy talking to you about all this stuff because you are so knowledgeable on it. And, you know, if you have any uh, epiphanies or anything you'd like to share in the future, you're more than welcome to come back and, and share those things because uh, I really think the audience is going to enjoy this conversation we've had. Uh, you covered a lot of information. You shared your experience in great detail. And uh, I really think people are going to appreciate what you had to say. I really hope so. And really the goal of this is, is to get my story out there, but more importantly is to encourage other people to share their stories, to not be afraid. And that is what I love about your show and what you're trying to do is because you're creating an environment where it's normalizing these topics. And for every person that comes on and tells their story, I can just about guarantee you that someone's listening goes, you know what, maybe it's okay for me to tell mine. Even if I go on anonymously, I, I can tell my story. You know, to some people, these experiences are so traumatic that uh, they end up with anxiety or depression because they can't tell anyone. And just to be able to come on to a show like yours and get it off their chest is going to be such a huge relief. And it's going to add to the volumes of information that are out there. And you know what? That's the case for me too. I will tell my story as often as I can. And you asked me what my plans are and how I proceed to, to research the subject. Well, coming on a show like yours is part of that process because not only do I get to tell you my story, but I just hope that it's an encouragement to someone else to come forward and tell theirs. That's great, man. I really appreciate you and your mindset here with coming forward and sharing so that other people feel comfortable as well. Uh, Cause that's exactly how I feel about all this. I, I just wanted to create a platform for people to come forward and just share what they have on their mind and what they've experienced without feeling like they're going to be ridiculed or grilled or, you know, asked a billion questions to try to, you know, trick them out or anything. That's not what this show is about. It's just for people to come forward, share their experiences, get it off their chest and maybe move on in life. So, I mean, I'm really glad that you, uh, you came on today. And before we get out of here, I did want to ask you, uh, with the whole government thing, you said that maybe they don't even know exactly what these are. Do you think that's probably a big reason why they don't even come out and acknowledge these really? Because they're not quite sure and they don't want to, you know, create a situation where they have to explain themselves when they don't even know all the details about it. No, absolutely. And I think it goes even deeper that deeper than that. The issue is that it's a it's it's a multifaceted problem. And and if they said this happened, they would have to also admit they've known about it, they've lied about it. They can't control it. They can't stop it. They can't reproduce it. And going to my personal belief that these are holdovers from some ancient civilization, they would also have to say, oh, yeah, by the way, everything you've learned about the history of this planet, about culture, about civilization, about technology, it's all wrong, and we don't really know what happened. And uh, that would severely undermine their credibility. Uh, so, And, of course, there's, there's always the... Um, the, tech, the the dollar amount and, you know, the warfare and trying to repurpose the technology for, for other things. So there, there is so many reasons for them not to tell, and I can't think of one good reason why they would want to, you know. And really, we have a right to know. We all live on this planet. We're all citizens of this planet, and it affects everybody. There isn't a place on this planet that has not been touched by this phenomena. So, uh yeah, I think I think they should. Do I think they ever will? Not unless their hand is forced. You're absolutely right. And, and if you think about it, more than likely, it's our tax dollars going towards them trying to research and understand these these uh, UFOs and these extraterrestrial beings. Like we technically own that research, yet we're not allowed to look into it and actually know what's what's going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that totally makes sense. And just to sort of dovetail off of that idea, um, how many times have we heard about the government just losing money, just losing vast amounts of money? Dick Cheney, when he was testifying, he said something to the effect of, ah, we've got $2 trillion, don't know where it is. Well, how the, how the heck do you lose $2 trillion? 
you know, this money is going to, into black ops programs. And I guarantee you, this is part of it, if not a massive part of it. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's, it's funny how the, the money just disappears. And that's not acceptable in any other area of life. You know, I can't just call my mortgage company and say, hey, I can't pay this month because I lost my money. You know, like <laughs> that's not an excuse. Yet when it comes right. to this stuff, we just have to accept it because they said so. Yeah, it's it's a travesty and it's uh and it's just it's just it's just not fair to not only the Americans but to everybody on this planet because we don't know what their motivation is. I believe there is a motivation. I believe there's an agenda. Um I mean, you could always go off in other directions, you know, alien abductions and you know, people having sightings of these things sucking up water or the one recently from Chile that happened in 2012 of an infrared a video that was taken from a helicopter showing this object that only showed up on infrared. It was invisible to the naked eye and it was ejecting a hot material that could not be seen. Well, what is that about? What's going on with that? Are they contributing to global warming? Is it something that they're trying to do? I don't know, you know, but we deserve to know because we all live here. Absolutely. And maybe we'll uh, find out some new information as time goes on, but it, it's almost as if they, they set it up that way, where you only get bite-sized pieces for periods of time so that you never quite can catch up to the truth because as soon as you make advancement in knowledge, the truth is already further away now because they're only giving you little pieces at a time to kind of keep you off the truth of the matter. That's right. It's that mindset of compartmentalization. You know, when they take when they're making a top secret program, you know, very few people know what the final product is going to be. They've got hundreds or thousands of people working on it. And one person's job is to make a cog and the next person's job is to make a screw. But that's all they do is they make that. They don't know what the final product is going to be. They compartmentalize it so that it remains as secret as possible. So if they're doing that with top secret military projects, which we know they do, what else are they doing it with? And I can guarantee you they're doing it to a much more vast extent with those things that they want to keep the most secret. Couldn't agree more, man. Well, Roger, I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight and uh, sharing your uh, story and just your general knowledge on the topic is very much appreciated, man. No, I, I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate having me on. I appreciate what you're doing. And, uh, you know, if you ever have any other questions, you want to delve deeper into the topic and you'll go off on a different direction and, and reach into it, please let me know. I'll be more than happy to come back on and we can, we can chat about it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is definitely something that will happen in the future. All right, man. Well, have a great night, okay? Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. All right, man. Take care. Well, that's it, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you've had an encounter with anything strange or mysterious, get a hold of me. I love hearing the stories, and maybe we can have you on the show. Have a good night. That is, those are aliens coming down here, y'all. Booga is coming down the same direction. Aliens! You're my my silent drum. That is kicking me till I'm numb. I want to feel the love, the dreams rounded. When he got said no vicious on his gig I wanna feel free like a bird in the sky
boss. Thank you for